0: And I think that having someone like yourself and your group to be able to take that initiative, to me, it's the American dream. It's the dream of saying, yes, I can find a way and yes, I can inspire others. And yes, I can ask people to come and, and be a part of the bigger scheme, the bigger picture, the bigger opportunity, and that's why I appreciate what you've done is because I think The more we can get people to find ways to lift people up, the better we are as a country.
1: Welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast, where we highlight and inspire a community of givers with your host, the founder of the Good Tidings Foundation, Larry Harper. Well, I'm certainly honored to kick off the second season of the Good Tidings podcast with what is likely the best Bay Area athlete slash philanthropist of all time. He is a four-time Super Bowl champ, NFL Hall of Famer, and founder of All-Stars Helping Kids, Ronnie Lott. So Ronnie, welcome to the Good Tidings podcast.
0: Thank you. I'm uh, looking forward to uh, chatting with you. And then the introduction kind of made me a little nervous because... When I think of being uh, philanthropic, uh, I realize that there are so many amazing athletes that do so many amazing things, but that title, I still have a long ways to go to match uh, some of the greats that have done so many wonderful things here in the Bay Area.
1: The Bay Area, I think, and its culture has yielded so many Responsible athletes and, um, you know, someone like yourself who started a charity even while you were still playing. It's very remarkable. So I look forward to diving into this. And, you know, we are, even though we live a few miles away from each other, we are filming this or recording this via Zoom just a few days before Christmas. So Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. And I know, I'm sure all of us are hoping for a much better 2021 as we get into this new year. I know you were were born in New Mexico, moved to Washington, D.C., really grew up in Southern California, and it seemed like you really enjoyed playing all sports, baseball, basketball, football. But from the beginning, was football really your favorite?
0: No, uh, basketball was number one, still is number one. I still get excited when I go watch a Warriors game. There is uh, something magical about basketball that really uh, I really enjoy, and I think as a kid I watched the, the uh, Boston Celtics and watching the you know the Russell years and watching uh, you know Cousy and and watching Casey Jones and watching all those players that played on that team and and I think for me I've had a basketball Jones. It's just been Something that I really enjoy, but football comes second when it when I talk about when I'm able to talk about sports, it uh it definitely is uh second.
1: Interesting, yeah. And, and, and Ronnie, you certainly were known in the NFL as one of the toughest and hardest hitting defensive backs. Were you a, a tough kid growing up? Um, you know what? Not really. When I lived in Washington D.C., I had my moments of
0: dealing with conflict and i remember sitting there going man you know i got punched a couple of times and uh, so you know i went home and grabbed my dad my dad said get back out there and so (laughs) i realized that you know i I wasn't really that tough of a kid but over the years the funny thing about life is that you realize that if you're going to survive you better survive trying to be the best you can be and and so yeah, I, I learned that I had to be pretty tough and I learned that the only way to survive is to be as tough as possible. And, and I guess a lot of that too is due to the fact that my dad was in the military and I I would see how his friends would survive and how they were tough and how they had to have the commitment. And so there were just, you know, moments where I got tougher as I learned how to get tougher. <laughs> and, and that's, that's something that you learn in sports. Yeah, definitely.
1: And it seemed the number 42 had a special meaning when you were young. And and then later on, did you learn even more about the social impact that number really would have? Yeah. When I was young, Charlie Taylor
0: was an amazing athlete and he played for the Washington Redskins, and when we lived in Washington DC, obviously it was phenomenal. But the other person there that I started to learn about social justice was Bobby Mitchell. And Bobby Mitchell was not only a great football player, but was a great activist. And he was a part of that original group. And Bobby and others that I would watch over the years, like Muhammad Ali and others that you started to see that there was a fight and the fight of justice and the fight of understanding why you belong and the fight of understanding how hard it is to belong. And I saw examples of that living in Washington, D.C. You know, we went down to protest when Martin Luther King, my mom and dad took us down there. We were really young. but we were really intrigued by all of what we saw. And, and, and really the thing that I always remember about that moment is that the smell of the people, and um, I'll never forget the smell of the gathering of people and the gathering of people who care and the gathering of people who are making sacrifices. And so for me, clearly, living there in the in the early 60s, and living there and watching some of the things that went on, you learn that there was social unrest. Yeah,
1: and it's interesting that it's, you know, you mentioned that's the 60s, then it happens in the 70s and the 80s and 90s, and then even this year, where I think we are all hopeful that everybody's awoken. That the one thing I'm, I'm intrigued about on I mean, the football side is, if black NFL players are still called the minorities, yet they make up the majority of their sport, and it still seems to be a struggle for there to be black representation in the head coaching ranks. So, is is the NFL you think coming around in those areas, or it's still well behind?
0: Well, I think it's it's well behind, and I think yeah. the reason it's well behind is that um, you have to find. The capability of being able to put management and ownership in a position where they can evaluate and trust and understand that when you look at a person like Ozzie Newsom, who has done a phenomenal job, and you look at what he's done, there are others out there that could and can possibly be able to do all of what he's done on the other hand you could look at teams that have said I'm going to make a choice and that choice was done without being able to measure and not being able to put a stamp that said this guy's qualified and yet it's happened where guys have been able to find a way to rise and to be you know a part of that conversation where they're now are part of management and so to me that's the tough part is that can you have it where there's a level playing field and that's not the case right now and and hopefully the NFL and others will start to see that maybe like they measure players like they have done over over time that once you see and once you start to understand and you start to evaluate and you start to really appreciate that I'll take myself, I might have four or five characteristics that's just like Pete Carroll. And I might have four or five characteristics that's just like Bill Parcells. Am I a qualified candidate? And yet, because we don't have a way of measuring that, it makes it a little challenging.
1: Yeah, well, I'm hoping, it seems like this is uh, finally the movement that's gonna stick. And it's interesting too, as for myself and our charity, Good Tidings, You know, we wanted to respond to the social injustice and, and try to do it in a quick way. And I was really struggling personally on what would be the best way to do it. And I was on your website, All Stars Helping Kids, and you had a great video of this young black kid in Oakland was part of the Hidden Genius Project. And he was starting this very unique company, kind of restoring tennis shoes and doing tennis shoe art. And I was moved by that video on your website to start what we have called now GT Ventures. And we are awarding $10,000 grants to young, young Black youth who are starting a business or a charity. We awarded our first recipient this month. Um, Our next recipient is going to be in February, and then we're going to provide them all sorts of incubator support. But I want to just let you know that on your website was something that spearheaded really the direction we wanted to go, and uh, we think we have a great new program that's shown so much interest from all of our supporters, all the local professional sports teams and what have you, to support this part of our mission. So thank you for Sharing that story of that young man on your website. Yeah, I I think two things.
0: One, what the young man has done has really elevated not only his purpose, but the purpose for others. And I think that having someone like yourself and your group to be able to take that initiative, to me, it's the American dream. It's the dream of saying, Yes, I can find a way. And yes, I can inspire others. And yes, I can ask people to come and and be a part of the bigger scheme, the bigger picture, the bigger opportunity. And that's why I appreciate what you've done, is because I think the more we can get people to find ways to lift people up, the better we are as a country. We've always found great leaders in really interesting ways. And those great leaders have come to run this country. They've come to play a role in this country. And I believe that as long as we keep trying to find ways to incubate people that can lead, we're going to be a better society.
1: Yeah. Amen. And I ask this of a lot of athletes because as I, this podcast is really to highlight the great doers and and givers that we've come across. And I, you know, I want to dive into why people do that. And I found for me, and I don't know if you ever thought of this, but the athletes who I find are the greatest givers are on the defensive side. They're defensive athletes. And I, I think there's something of an unselfishness to a defensive athlete that an offensive athlete may or may not have. So I find there's a correlation with the defensive athlete, the great defensive athlete who is totally unselfish, that gives of himself with oftentimes not a big return, oftentimes being becomes the greatest giver and uh, philanthropist. And I don't know if you ever had thought about that at all.
0: You know, when you just said it, what reminds me of the things that I admire about people are guys like Willie Davis, who was a great defensive player, great human being, great philanthropic person, but also had an incredible heart to teach people how to play in the huddle and to teach people how to belong and to teach people that you can find your path. And Bill Curry tells a story of why he really loved Willie Davis, because of his ability to find a way to make others stand on his shoulders. And so I think that, that what I've always felt is that I've seen a lot of great individuals from Tiger to you name it, who has found a way to say, you know what, I'm going to give back. I'm going to find a way to do something that's gonna impact other young people. And I'm proud of those people because to turn back and to remember that somebody helped you is an incredible thing because we all know that every player, every person, no matter who you are, somebody gave you a shot, somebody helped you, somebody made you better, somebody coached you up. I think that that spirit needs to be exhibited for the rest of the rest of our lives. And and so I've been very fortunate because for the rest of my life, we're going to try to give and for the rest of my life, we're going to try to make changes. We're going to do it in a lot of different ways. We're going to do it in some ways that people might not even know, but we're going to do it. And that's my commitment to society because, and if I did, my dad would kill me <laughs> because my dad does it every day he's out doing stuff in the community and helping his church members and helping people in the community. My mom does it. And so I got great examples and they're in their 80s and they're doing a wonderful job of still finding ways to make a difference in their community.
1: That's great. And what is your take on professional athletes? I mean, do they, do they have a duty, responsibility, obligation, or is it a just a calling. If you're going to be a, a person who gives back, what's, what's your stand on professional athletes and their relationships to community? Give? Well, I, I think it, I think it comes
0: from, you know, the individual and the individual who really appreciates and understands that somebody did something for, for him. And I think the really interesting part to me is when I see guys like LeBron doing what he's done in, in Cleveland and, like Steph Curry did recently here in the Bay Area feeding all the people that he's fed and and what I think is really amazing is that it comes from usually their friends their family and so very seldom do you find an athlete that doesn't want to participate very seldom do you find an athlete that doesn't want to not do something to better others and the other thing too that i think is that you know you have that (laughs) you have that relationship with the fan and sometimes you realize that the fan if you didn't have a fan we wouldn't have what we have so there are a lot of reasons why i think athletes do what they do and then i realize that there are some athletes that have challenges with it because not everybody is 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 made to to do everything. And so some guys are gonna have challenges just because they're not equipped to deal with some of the responsibilities that come along with trying to be philanthropic. And yet they find their path, they find their way, and they contribute in their own way. But you find a lot of people that who can't deal with it because of their mental capacity and sometimes that makes it really challenging for some athletes.
1: And before we get to talk a little bit more about All-Stars Helping Kids, what, what was it really like in your life that nurtured or fostered your giving side to want to do more than just show up? What, what was it in your early life that really nurtured that?
0: Yeah, my parents have been, they've just been that way. You know, from the, from the first time I got a chance to put on a helmet. You know we were out selling candy because we had to sell candies to you know to help you know, our organization and to help the Jets and to help that was my team the San Bernardino Jets and and so right away you, you know you get it and you get it because you want to belong you want to be a part of the team and so being a part of the team is not just playing being a part of the team is you know doing all the other things that my dad and my, my mom and early on taught us and talked to us about it and always shared that those are the things you have to do. In the military, you see it all the time. I always am amazed that when you see a, a, a person salute to a guy that he doesn't even know, and it's out of respect for that person. And I think that out of respect for society I've always felt like you gotta do what you can as long as you can. And so that creed of being in that moment of service, I just know that it's it's imperative because our society needs it. We need people to help feed other people. And if we don't have that, it doesn't work. The Peace Corps Was built to help people. You know, I can go down the list of all these incredible nonprofits that were built to help the underserved. And, um, you know, I happen to be a part of All Stars Helping Kids, but I've also, you know, um, helped start Tipping Point. And when I think of Tipping Point, I think of All Stars and I think of all the organizations that are here in the Bay Area. What I do know is that their core is that they know that something's bigger than them and at the core they know that they got to find a way to make a difference and then the other thing that's important is that we all know that there are a lot of people of color that don't get a fair shake and you know again when i look back at what i saw in the 60s A lot of black people did not get their fair shake. And and so you realize that you got to do what you can to support and, and help. And recently we've all, all my friends and all my relationships and all of them, whether they're black, white, green, purple, they've all said, hey, we're in, we're in, we're chipping in because we see that it's our responsibility. You know, we're, we wanna be in the huddle. We wanna, we wanna make a difference. And to me, that's the big aha uh-huh in life where people go, oh, I get it now. I gotta play. I gotta be in. I gotta participate. It's imperative that I do that.
1: Yeah. And so while you were still playing in 1989, you started All-Stars Helping Kids. Where did that idea come from and what were the early days really like? The early days were
0: really like the moments that I would see Warren Moon and some of my other friends that had started charities and I remember sitting there going man i I gotta think about why I can do what I can do and so in eighty nine I put together all stars, but I put it together with some really amazing people and Polly Hillis and uh a couple of other friends of mine we got together and we pulled this dinner together and the dinner was centered around how do we help organizations like eastfield ming Kwong and city team ministries and the thought was is if we could help those organizations that again we're going to be better for putting this group together and and so that was the founding moment of of all stars and and then we realized that we wanted to do more. And as we started exploring and looking at different opportunities, we did something with UCSF and built an incredible wing at the hospital there. And then we started you know, looking and exploring more and we started to realize that people knew that for every nonprofit, five die, five go away so we realize that man, we got to we got to be in the business of helping people stay in the world of the philanthropic world because if if five go away only after starting six if only one survives man that's that's not a, really a good track record uh, that look let's find a way to get him in, get involved and let's see how we can bring resources and and let's see if we can find people that could possibly match what we're doing. And, and maybe we can get folks from some of the consulting groups and maybe we can get folks from some of the accounting groups. Maybe we can get guys from the law firms uh, at Wilson Cincini and talking you know, and getting them involved. And, and before you know it, you got an, another huddle of people saying, man, I'm going to play a role and I'm going to dive in and be a part of it. So the one thing I can always reflect on is, it's interesting, huddling up with people like they do in the service, you find ways to bring commonality amongst each other and then you find ways to attack the issue and, and, and solve it and, and make it better.
1: Yeah, and I love your mission statement. You know, the very first line is, the mission is to disrupt the cycle of poverty. And I love the word disrupt. I think that's such an appropriate word. It really gets grabs my attention. And I, I love the pillars that you stand for. And what is the greatest asset you bring to All-Stars uh, outside of being the founder? What, what are your strengths and, and what do you really enjoy about the work you do? Um.
0: Robin Hood was a great, great character. (laughs) And um, I love trying to find ways to think of all the relationships and all the people that I've met. I remember when I was at USC, there were so many great alums that would do so many wonderful things for the football program. And and I recognize that those individuals and those people that still are in, in my life you start to realize that those people are also interested in trying to find ways to give back. And, and then I saw that same thing happen here in the Bay area. There were a lot of folks that said, Hey, look, can I team up with you? I want to be a part of it. And I had guys, you know, some really good friends, a guy named John Mumford, who I've known for a long time since 1984 and and Steve Luso, who I got to know in the late you know eighties. And, and then, from there, they introduced me to different people and different relationships, and and so what I do know is that I also see myself now with guys that you feel like you know you you can go to war with, and 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 David Greco has been phenomenal, and our board chair Isaac Vaughn has been phenomenal, and what I've learned being around those guys is that they see a whole different business case and a business opportunity for all stars. And so all of a sudden, you know, like a lot of things, you get a great quarterback and a great head coach like Bill Walsh and, and Joe Montana. And that's kind of what the equivalent of Dave Greco and, and Isaac Vaughn. And and my point is that the way that they think, the way that they see things, the way that they structure things, the way that they build value amongst their partnerships and relationships, the way that they find me and say, hey, maybe you can help us do this. And, you know, again, I don't mind playing a defensive back role of trying to maybe intercept the pass or maybe help find a way to make a relationship better. So all of it is around, you know, building great, great relationships and, and relationships of people who are like-minded.
1: Yeah, and I love your Robin Hood reference. When I started the Good Tidings Foundation 25 years ago, the first name I put in for was the Robin Hood Foundation because I, I agree with the thought of just rounding up such great people that can do so many great things. I quickly found out that <laughs> that charity was long been established by the Kennedy family back in New York, but, you know, it, it seemed to make sense is to bring, you know, and, and you're in your title now of all-stars and just bringing these great people together. One of the pillars that I don't do love is, um, is how you coach others to do good through your accelerator program. Can you dive into that? A little yeah. More? What's great about that is that, um, you know, think about
0: when you get into professional football right away everybody thinks that you know what you're doing and and you don't. <laughs> and so you have guys like George Seaford and you have guys like Ray Rhodes and you have guys that teach you the fundamentals of what it takes to be a professional. And the same goes with being uh, in a nonprofit world. You have to have people teaching you and coaching you and helping you deal and solve with so many different issues and 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 the strength of that provide you thoughts and ideas and things that you can do to build a stronger, better organization. So what I love is that the rigor of getting people to think outside the box, getting people to think that they can partner with other people, getting people to know that maybe they can lean on other people in the community. And so when I look at, you know, Chris Bischoff at Eastside Prep, we played I got to know him and we played a, a, uh, an interesting role of of saying, yeah, not only do we believe in you, but we were also able to try to find relationships and people that he could meet and talk to. And I think that Chris, who was an athlete himself, realized that not only could I do that, but man, I can do so much more and went on to build an incredible organization. and And so I think that what we're finding is coaching matters, <laughs> relationships matter, and we're seeing it now in our society. We're, people are being coached how to deal with some of their biases. And they don't even realize that they have them, but they do. And so how do you find a way to change that? Corporations are saying, hey, we're, we're going we're to coach you. We're going to teach you. We're going to find ways to enhance you so you can be more open to understand how people can help you. And so we're seeing it in a broader perspective more than ever. And it's great, but at all stars, it's imperative that we have that way of being able to coach
1: and help people. I think a mark of a successful team or organization is someone that can adapt quickly and be very fluid. And I think you certainly did that this year with your rapid response fund and and how you responded to this COVID pandemic. Tell us a little about that. Yeah,
0: what was great about that moment was that we pivoted very quickly. David saw that there were things that we could do. Our board, Isaac, our chairman, saw some things that we could do. Again, what I think is really great is that the two of them, along with Jack Russey, did a wonderful job. And they did a wonderful job of seeing that we can find a way to engage. We can find a way to make sure that the cohorts that we had, the people that were literally thinking that maybe they might not get a chance to participate in the situation, that they could participate in being able to contribute and find ways to participate so we were able to do that and then the other thing that there were a lot of of our alumni that had their various challenges and that we, we were able to address some of those issues and and I think like in life I have a younger brother and I'm sure that my younger brother you know, when we talked about some of the things that he was dealing with and my younger sister, we all had emotional issues. You got to have somebody that you can talk to and lean, lean on. And um, and so the rapid response opportunity for us was being able to rapidly get it done in a way where we were able to address the issues of our cohorts and um to address the issues of our grantees and and to make sure that we were um, listening to them and listening to the things that they had to say. Because a lot of times you can go and try to do things and sometimes you're not listening to what people need. And so we did a wonderful job and and it was all due to Dave Greco and his leadership.
1: And now that you kind of reflect back over 30 years of All-Stars. Do you see it, the charity living past you? Well,
0: what I do see is that we have a great group of people who realize that something's bigger than them. And so when something's bigger than yourself, you would hope that people would find a way to make All-Stars something that continues to live for a long time because it's about giving people a chance to stand on your shoulders. If you go back in history, and I went to Ghana, and when you go to Ghana, where a lot of the slaves that came here, um, when they left that space in Ghana and they came here, they didn't know what the opportunity was. They didn't even really understand it. A lot of people came here with the idea of hope, and then a lot of them found themselves found themselves bonded. And when you find yourself in those kind of settings and you still have hope, and you still find a way to make it happen, you still find a way to persevere. And my point is, is that it's been a part of the legacy of this country, a part of the legacy of, of people who come from underserved communities. And so, yeah, we I believe that it has to continue to exist to allow people to see that, just give me a shot, give me a chance, and I can show you what I can do. I have seen a lot of amazing people do some incredible things, helping people become all-stars. That is one of the great Great things is helping people become all stars.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned Tipping Point. And if that wasn't enough, you also co founded Champion Charities with your former teammate, Harris Barton. And I've been fortunate to attend some of those wonderful events hosted in the city. Tell us a little bit about Champion Charities.
0: Yeah. Champion Charities was really built on the idea of what his parents stood for and what his parents we're all about. And Harris lost both of his parents in a really tough situation. And, and so how I think about life is, you know, how do we pay our respects to who they were and what they stood for? And so we did that and we wanted to try to find a way to solve issues around brain cancer and, and around the thoughts and ideas of what we could do in that arena. And so you step from there to then looking at other arenas and we were able to put together some really interesting ideas and thoughts around the Titan breakfast and uh, getting people together that were Titans and getting people to, to understand that maybe there are other ways that we can impact young people and. So that became a really incredible charge because not only did I see a person who was growing up and building his own business, but a person who started to realize that he can uh, change people's lives. And so he started this idea of creating an opportunity to allow people of color to, to actually have a chance to go to the theater and to be able to see their first show and to get them engaged in that environment. And over the years, you know, we've seen some incredible shows, but what I think has been really fascinating is there are kids who have never been out of their neighborhood and whether it's been in the Bay Area or in New York and in Atlanta and in Chicago. And so in those areas, we were able to Go and partner with people in those respective communities. And we saw that we could make an impact and we saw that kids could get a chance to see something that they've never seen before. So I look at those opportunities and I remember so many kids coming to an event and walking out knowing that they've seen something that will give them hope and give them an opportunity to believe in, and an opportunity to see that maybe they could be in theater. And and so those those moments to me are liberating because every kid wants to dream Every kid wants to see something that they've never seen before. Champion Charities have been able to do that, but at the same time, we've also spread the opportunity to give to more people and so we've been able to give to the basic fund and some other you know different organizations throughout the bay area along with you know giving back to helping his original cause and that is helping around brain cancer and it's been really um phenomenal in in, in my mind of looking at at the world and saying how do you find yourself stretching yourself just like on the field? How do you stretch yourself on the field to try to do more and to try to make more of an impact? And we're very fortunate that those moments have happened. And hopefully, hopefully more moments will happen because more kids need these opportunities, especially kids that are from underserved communities need these opportunities to kind of see that just maybe I can be I can be on the stage at Hamilton and get my shot, as they say in that in that in that play. You just want to get your shot. Well Hamilton in listening and in learning about that is was remarkable.
1: Yeah, and you're not new to the podcast world. You actually spread a nice message in your podcast that you co-host with your daughter Haley called mind games. We'll put some links to that in our show notes so people can get signed up and, and subscribe to that. But tell us a little bit about the mind games. podcast. Yeah. That's the interesting dynamic that
0: my daughter really wanted to explore. And that is, she would tell you as she was growing up, there were things that she struggled with in terms of understanding her purpose and her reasoning for living and doing what she wanted to do. And she felt that there was a calling that that she could hopefully and find a figure out and find a way to make a difference. And I think when I think of what she's done to let young girls know that you can get better, to let people know that you can struggle and to find ways to see that there are tools out there that can help you and what i've enjoyed is that we've met some incredible gifted people that have really given their life to mental illness and mental health and finding ways to literally create ways that changes people's minds and 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 give them tools that allow them not to suffer and and so you know, that's a, whole, that's a whole different world when you dive down a path where you see trouble and yet you see light. And for us, what I love is Haley has been really good at practicing teaching me and others how to see light and to see it in a way where it could change your company it could change your kids, it can change yourself. And you can change yourself knowing that you're going to be feeling a little bit better about the next day because you took the time to look at yourself and to get better. And so for me, what I find is really interesting, she has a way of impacting me and she has a way of making sure that I practice it, and I find ways to surrender, and to also um, to know that you don't know it all. You can get better, and you can not find a way to to floss your brain because clearly, in with this COVID situation, I needed to floss every day, <laughs> and <laughs> and floss my brain because um, just a lot of challenging thoughts went through, and still. They go through your head because avoiding people and avoiding, you know, and I I can say this, you know, sometimes we, it's been challenging to avoid situations where you're trying to help people and you can't help them the way you used to help them. And that's, that's hard, especially when you're, you know, trying to do that with all stars. So, you know, she's been phenomenal learning and teaching and helping people understand that um, this topic is going to be a topic that's going to be with us for a long time.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I did want to thank you for your time today. You know, we've we've run in so many similar circles. You mentioned Eastside Prep. You know, our charity actually built the art studio and fitness center there and, and your love for basketball. We've actually built 95 basketball courts with every Warriors player over the last 25 years and I'm I'm hoping maybe uh, in 2021 we can combine forces and and find a way to dive in on a project that could help the youth. Well, that would be
0: fantastic. Just knowing what I know, like I've always said, and and I would all I always believe this. Just the fact that you mention it says that there's an opportunity, and because there's an opportunity, there's a chance for us to make a, an impact on helping people. And as you've done and as you know 25 years of giving and serving and helping it's not what you do it's what you look forward to doing and to me it's the journey that we got to continue to stay on and and I look forward to hopefully collaborating and possibly looking at things that we can do together
1: yeah that'll be great and i like i tell all the athletes that we we speak with on this podcast you know you have a, a plaque at Canton, Ohio and your numbers are tired at, at Levi stadium. But I, I really think for athletes, especially someone who's done what you've done for over 30 years, I think your legacy is, is, your, is your charity work for me, much more so than your greatness on the field. So congratulations to you on that. I will say this, and I, I really believe this, it will be defined at the end. And the
0: reason I say that is that you got to earn your respect in in society—you got to earn it all the time. There are so many things that can prevent you from not earning it. And so I've always, I've always felt this. That my dad said this. You know, when you die, that's when people are going to tell you what you stood for and how you how you've been respected. And I'm trying to think way out there and trying to realize that. I got a long ways to go and I want to keep playing hard and I want to keep trying to figure out ways to get back and and I want to try to find ways to um, try to make an impact that's the value of, of being a citizen on this planet is especially in this free country that we live in that make a difference find a way to lift somebody up and find a way to let them stand on your shoulders
1: absolutely well thanks for your time today, Ronnie. I really appreciate it. And uh, we're all inspired by your work and we look forward to a great 2021 for all of us. Thank you very
0: much and God bless everyone and happy holidays. And more importantly, uh, I hope people realize that um, find your soul and give to others so your soul can be shone.
1: just enjoyed an episode of the Good Tidings podcast, highlighting the goodness in people. To learn more about and to support the Good Tidings Foundation, log on to goodtidings.org. This monthly program is brought to you by the generosity of responseresponsibility.org. Don't miss out on the Good Tidings podcast by reviewing and subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.